and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Albo's most reflective work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. It's me. And uh, before we start, again, a reminder that you have six days left, I think, something like that, to get in your entries for the Pact or also Parahumans Doof Fan Art Contest. Um, the theme is Reflections. More details in the show notes down below. Send us all your great artworks. Yes, uh, you don't have long left, so so get them in quick. Yeah, so... Don't, but don't pause the podcast. you still got to listen to yeah. this, but you got to Li- do both. Listen to this for inspiration while you draw. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And speaking of inspiration, uh, Andy checks up on Roxanne after the savage beating, the inspired, <laughs> inspiredly savage beating that Ava delivered to her um, to bring us into 11.8. I love how Ava sort of opens all this with, like, you know, well, if... If I wanted her to be dead, she'd be dead. Like, you mm. know, I know exactly how to kill her. And it's like, you know, that's somehow more psychotic. I, I um, To be honest, if Ava had killed her, I think Ava would just be like, yeah, we wanted her dead. Now she won't be a problem. <laughs> like, Ava doesn't seem like the kind of person that has a tight grip on her motivations of her actions. No, that's true. She could just be bullshitting. Uh, she's <laughs> one of the few characters who's allowed to do that. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I like the way some bits of exposition... And, and hints are sort of snuck in through the dialogue between Andy and Eva in this section. Um, like, Eva bemoans sort of the fact that there's more than three people in the house, mm. um, which, you know, lets us know that this wasn't part of the plan. Yeah, so maybe the Thorburn body meat shields did do something after all, but not really. Um, it doesn't seem like it. <laughs> yeah. Like, a, a, a five-minute delay tops. A minor inconvenience still counts. <laughs> Everything counts. <laughs> Um, I mean, that's pretty much the, the theme of the second half of the chapter, isn't it? Ty's just like, I don't know, maybe this will slow down a bit. Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk about this thing, this thingy, I should say, because um, there's this bit where Andy and Ava talk about this, basically a rememberall that they've got with them, um, is how I'm picturing it at least. Uh, and it's the exact kind of thing that Wabo puts in these stories just to fuck with us by never explaining what they do. <laughs> but I'm so curious what it does. <laughs> yeah, this is so mean. Like, what, what is the thingy? What what does it do? Did it do Tell it really us. well, or did it not do anything? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> like, that's it. We don't know. Andy and Eva don't know. Just ah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I love I love this little bit of mystery. What if it's is my fan theory? It's a. It is actually a remember all, and they're using it to remember Blake since his connections were severed. <laughs> Maybe it's that. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I, my first thought was it was something like a jamming signal but i don't know if that's just because they also talk about how they've got a phone jammer (laughs) yeah i think that's just your um, brain associating two different things well because they said eva wouldn't notice it because she wasn't a practitioner so i was like okay so like jams connections or something yeah i don't know yeah who knows does Mm. something with molly's bell yeah could do hopefully we'll find out yeah um so, yeah, Blake basically checks in on the Thorburns. They're all uh, unconscious, and he's like, all right, well, see ya. Uh, he goes up to the Cabal, who are all hiding out in Rose's bedroom, and they basically try to figure out what they're trying to do next. So, I think they're actually in the library. Sorry, yes, they are Is in that... the library. I, I don't yeah. know why I put Rose's room. The library actually becomes quite relevant later, so. Yeah, okay, good. I thought I might be going crazy, or maybe Rose had moved some books into her yeah. bedroom or something. No, she sleeps in the library um... now. <laughs> <laughs> um, i mean i you would right like i could yeah i could see the logic behind doing that yeah mm. especially such a nerd like rose um <laughs> so as as blake comes back to the to the cabal 
they there's like a whole new set of others that they've gathered um I think they are explicitly meant to look a bit shit to us as the readers as well. There's one of them, the knight, that yeah. just looks like a knight who's a little bit shitty, from what I can tell at least. <laughs> um, no, they're definitely much less uh, impressive and, and exciting than, like, whenever Rose has shown up with, like, a group of pirates and stuff, right? Yeah, like, totally. Uh, like, and I think, you know, obviously that makes sense. These guys are shitter than Rose. Like, yeah. it, it, it adds up. Um, I mean, obviously, like, the exception to all this is the paper girl is pretty cool, but, like, you know, that's coming. Yeah, we'll get back to her, I guess. Um, and again, here's another thing that Wabo drops very tantalizingly and never fully explains. Um, they talk about how they used, uh, like, Tiffany did some some future scrying to, uh, to try and figure out if they should get a familiar or a domain or an implement, and every time that they... Uh, looked at this, it basically seemed to lead to some kind of horrible ca- catastrophic consequences. Um, which again, like, I'm so curious what that is. Um, they kind of theorized that it was mm. uh, some kind of enchantress trick where, uh, uh, like, Sandra, a Duchamp, um, Corvidae's their connections around. But I actually kind of like the idea of it actually being Corvidae fucking with them. I think that could be a good possibility. <laughs> Yeah, maybe Mara was was waiting for the Rose to let him go so she could snatch him up. Mm. Um, I I mean, it's interesting as well because they all talk about how specifically it was bad when they looked at forming these sorts of connections with Rose and with Evan. Mm. And they're like, yeah, specifically that was what threw up the concept of lost connections. Mm. And I mean, in Evan's case, are we sure that has to do with the future and not the past? Like, it mm. seems like too obvious a connection to make for us like retro retrospectively knowing what we know i can see why they didn't make that connection um but yeah i don't know like i mean and i guess the other option is maybe all their ideas were just fucking terrible like if they're talking about <laughs> making like rose and evan familiars with each other like that's a fucking dumb plan mm. uh ty is probably about the only one who should consider like pairing up with evan mm. maybe there's something where if somebody forms a bond with Evan, like a familiar style bond, it does something to like shut off Blake even more. And that's the lost connection. Um, because obviously Blake yeah, and Evan yeah. do still have quite a strong connection. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've been interested, like, you know, he, he's obviously still a Thorburn as well. I'm, I'm curious, you know, how connections like that manifested in what Ur did. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely doesn't seem like there's a very clean kind of like, you know it doesn't seem like it was a clean bite through the connections mm. i guess yeah yeah exactly i don't know maybe i'm just clinging to the hope that one day evan will re-become his familiar <laughs> i mean he kind of already is let's be honest like i mean they, they're kind of getting there it's, it's it's kind of becoming a de facto yeah um familiar relationship yeah you're yeah. right yeah they need to make it official i guess um so yeah uh they the Cabal and Blake kind of chit-chat about how they're going to deal with the multitude of problems that they have now got on their plates. Um, and they get some actions, and they're kind of like, all right, we've got some ideas, now let's worry about the bigger problem, which is the council that has caused all of this trouble. Um, how can they deal with the council? Man, this is so crazy to me, like, as if they don't already have enough to worry about. <laughs> like, like one, one problem at a time, everyone. Um, yeah, but I, the problem with that 
one problem at a time style thinking is it's very Blake or it's very um it's very uh, Taylor style thinking I would also say where it's you're always dealing with the immediate problem but you're not actually dealing with the structural problem that causes the immediate problems. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's fair, and and like I, I get it. I'm just so surprised that they weren't there. Like, the, you know, Blake's such a maniac <laughs> that he's like, you know, they're they're trapped in this room with so much bad stuff going on, and Blake's like. But you know who else we've got to go and fight? Yeah. Uh, like, like, I don't know. It just probably wouldn't, it wouldn't have even occurred to me to think outside the house at yeah. that point. No, and the other thing is, Alexis kind of starts talking about how someone's got to go deal with the council, so Blake, you're probably going to have to leave us. And it's, like, I get that if somebody has to go and fight the council, obviously Blake and Evan are the only two that can really move around freely. Yeah. But, uh fragmenting the group even more is such a bad idea like obviously it was a bad idea when we lost rose on the team and now obviously it's it's continuing to get worse because realistically blake is one of their strongest assets like in a fight he seems to be relatively capable and not to say the others aren't but you know it's the difference between summoning an other that's kind of maliciously complying with your orders and summoning an other who is on board and ready to fuck shit up to the extent that he fucks himself up to do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, he's definitely... He's willing to go the extra mile, I would say. Yeah, I mean, the issue for Blake has has become his ability to affect change, because he's broken pretty much every reflective surface in the house that mm. was still standing. Mm. Um, so, you know, that, that sort of lessens his potential to have an impact. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm still not over how ambitious this whole idea of, of going straight for the council is, I guess. Yes. Um, yeah, no, I agree. It's ambitious. Um, and they're talking about it, and I think they kind of realise that it's a bad plan, because uh, the conversation starts to turn to Alexis basically saying her goodbyes because she thinks she's going to die. Um, so yeah. if, that, if, if part of your plan involves saying your goodbyes because you think you're going to die... It might not be the best plan. I'm just going to put well, it out there. Or it might be the best plan and all your options are shit because Rose just fucking left you. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, I, I mean, this 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 bit of the conversation's very, you know, heartbreaking, mm. like heart, heartwarming at the same time, like, you know, just like some of the other ones have been. I mean, it affects Blake so much, his tattoos start, like, moving in real time. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that that's that's where he's at. They're proper animated now. <laughs> um. But, like, I really like this bit where Blake gets so frustrated that the responsibility over these guys has moved from him to to Rose. And mm. like, that, that upsets him because it hits that source point. Like, he, he, he doesn't have a, a connection to them anymore, and it, it sort of just reinforces that in his head. And I really like this as an example of, like, who Blake is because... For ninety nine percent of practitioners, that's a godsend. Like that, <laughs> he he just hit the jackpot. He he yeah. awoke a bunch of innocence and had all of the potential shitstorm karma. You know, they're, they're part of a cabal now. Like, it's pretty much a guarantee, mm. and that's been pushed onto someone else. And he's upset about it because he just wants to be connected to them. Like, it's <laughs> yeah, it's so nice. Yeah, it's um, heartwarming, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, also, Alexis actually spells out that there's a thing called the Law of Retribution, which I think we sort of. Had an inkling of, but it's like being codified by Alexis. Yeah, it plays into some of the hospitality laws that we already kind of knew about, um, and like you know stuff like that. Uh, yeah, basically, if you're a shithead, 
and uh, to someone and then they turn around and are a shithead to you it's going to work out better for them because you started it basically yeah, um i mean it's very it, it fits in fits in with the world of pact pretty well like that sort of eye for an eye thinking yeah um and yeah i, I think it's something we sort of knew was happening but it's nice to have it codified this way yeah um yeah definitely um so alexis and blake uh start planning for her death uh, when suddenly one of the others that they sent out, uh, a paper girl, uh, gets bounced back, comes through the door, and just immediately starts fucking shit up. Um, she is very scary, but also very <laughs> cool, which is uh, right on point for a good, high-quality other. I mean, uh, this is such a neat power. I really love the little detail of, like, where she spells out words. Like, <laughs> yeah. it really re- reinforces the, the symbolism of, like, her personality. Um, it's such a great... I mean, yeah, it's just one of those little details that makes worlds like Pact feel so much more uh, fleshed out and, mm. and real and, and makes them so much better. Mm. Um, and, of course, this girl also serves as a pretty obvious benchmark for Blake to think about this whole other versus human conflict he's been going through for two arcs now because, um, you know, she's literally made out of paper, but she's got a little flesh book. So, like, you know, the imagery of her having traded away her humanity for her otherness is is you know right there yeah not to mention uh obviously blake is tree she is paper like they're quite Mm. they're quite uh similar in a lot of ways yes Um, they have affinity a f f i n i t y (laughs) do you imagine her (laughs) this idea came into my head while i was reading this and it's so stupid but like spelling it out like a cheerleader as she's saying these things (laughs) No, I, I much more got the impression of, like, a little spelling bee type thing. Yeah, yeah. Which I think fits in with the cre- creepy little girl, uh, <laughs> no, I, I like, think... imagery very much, very well. I agree, but I just it just got stuck in my head of her kind of <laughs> dancing out the as she yells out the letters, and I couldn't get it out. Um, anyway, let's move on. Do you on. think that's a less scary or more scary image? Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Um <laughs> Uh, Alexis drops a pretty interesting and juicy line here when she is being, uh, paper cut to death. Um, she says, look after, oh God, after Rose, don't trust your instincts when it comes to her. Um, and yeah, like Alexis is, is putting in a lot of work to get Blake on board with Rose here, right? Saying don't trust your Uh, instincts is interesting. Yeah. And there's a few things Tiff says as well. Like the, the cabal gets about as close to. Uh, saying anything about, you know, Blake's situation as they can without actually saying anything or even hinting yeah. anything. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we've known that there's some shoe that's still left to drop with yeah. regards to, like, Blake and Rose's relationship. And I think not only does this reinforce that idea, it ups the stakes on it. Like, I'll, the fact that Alexis is so invested in it, whatever it is, really validates everything for Blake, you, you know? Like, like, as in... The idea that he shouldn't trust his instincts is a lot more validated coming from her. Yeah. Um, Can you imagine if Rose has said it? Like, she oh, just yeah. would have tuned it out completely. Yeah, well, of course she'd say that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, like, I don't know. This, like, feeds into the mystery really well um, and and kind of puts puts a whole lot more pressure on it for me. The, the fact that now Alexis has said, whatever is going on with Rose is the good thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it does. It definitely adds pressure to it, for sure. Um, Actually, speaking of putting pressure on it, uh, the paper girl says something interesting here. She says, the blood loss will kill them, not me. 
Then I'll have their skin, and I'll make a new book with a new cover and fill it with new words. Um, I said interesting there. I, I guess the right word is terrifying. Um, another <laughs> instance of... Uh, definitely gives me that kind of uh, Keller vibes with uh, flaying skin, stuff like that, um, mm. which is apparently a very common thing in the Pact universe. <laughs> Basically, every other other does some kind of skin flaying. <laughs> um I, I mean well it's just so fun yeah no. um and and i love the idea that i kind of i kind of have this uh headcanon for how Wildbo came up with with this other where he just thought what's something that people disproportionately hate okay paper cuts how can i turn a paper cut into a sentient monster and this is the result <laughs> maybe Wildbo got a paper cut like a couple of <laughs> yeah, days yeah, before yeah. writing this chapter and was just really not feeling paper cuts um <laughs> But yeah, I, I yeah, I, as we sort of talked about, like Blake tries to talk to Paper Girl, yeah. um, and I mean it doesn't go well. Like the more the more she speaks, the more you're like, yeah, this isn't going anywhere, Blake. She's yeah, there's clearly she's no a lost way. Course. Yeah, she, yeah, there's no way he's going to convince her to not be one of those murdery kind of others. Yeah, yeah, um, especially and, and I mean because she mentions one of the first things she says is if like they have called her and if she kills them, then she's free. Yeah, so. Not to, like, take her side or anything, but, like, I can see... <laughs> yeah, fair, it's you know, fair. It's a fair deal. Yeah. Yeah, like, I can I can see why she's invested in killing them. Yeah. It's interesting to track uh, boogeymen and their relative, uh, I guess, sentience is maybe not the right word, like, their relative lack of bloodlust, um, mm. and see what the common factors are. Because, like, of the of the bo- boogeymen that we know of, there there's Blake, obviously, but I'm going to kind of put him aside. We've got the the revenant from a few arcs back who didn't seem blood crazed. Uh, is he um is he a boogeyman though? I just thought he was like a particularly noteworthy revenant. I thought really the faceless woman was well, the uh yes the other or the boogeyman in in their partnership. Sure, but her as well, kind of quite um hmm, not docile because she was quite aggressive to the other other. But like she didn't she didn't seem to go so. Uh, she didn't seem to revolve around m- violence. She seemed to have a bit of a life, you know. Yeah, well, she she seemed to be struggling with it in in much the same way Blake is. Yeah, um, and it's interesting. Like she she was having she was having to learn to control her rage or was trying to anyway. I'm kind of curious to think about what separates a boogeyman like her from a boogeyman like this, who just seems to revel in fucking shit up, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I guess. I would assume, and this may not be a hun- like you know one hundred percent true for all of them, but like if she's one of the ones who's bound and you're calling up from the abyss, mm. she's probably more like Midge or something, right? Where she didn't escape; mm. somebody came down and picked her out. Mm. So that that might be part of it. You know, she's not someone who came to terms with their issues enough to actually make it out. There's someone who doubled down, became crazy, and has been fished out. Yeah, or maybe even. Um... Uh, a boogeyman like the faceless woman has presumably escaped being bound or, you know, killed the person who bound them or whatever it is that means that they're now able to be a bit more free roaming and that just gives them the time to reflect, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Mm. What are what Green Eyes is, is doing on that note? <laughs> Where's she at right now? <laughs> yeah, just swimming around, scaring the uh, the ice fishers in around Jacob's Bell. I don't know. 
Um, yeah, so the paper girl kind of keeps uh, shredding the cabal, and uh, they basically all start saying their, goodbye- their goodbyes to Blake. Um, Tiffany's goodbye is adorable. I love it. She's so cute. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, she's like, oh, I'm sorry if this goodbye is lame. It's just because I'm lame. And it's just like, oh, Tiffany. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I was originally going to say that one was the saddest, but then I remembered the other ones and I've decided they're all the saddest. Well, it's interesting. I, I had the same reaction. I don't know what it is. It's not, not the saddest, but it felt like it was the most uh, emotionally affecting to me. And I'm kind of curious what that was because, like, logically, I know that Alexis is someone who is a lot closer to Blake and her goodbye was also very emotional, but it just didn't seem to hit me in the same way. Well, hers doesn't really, she she doesn't actually have the whole speech thing, like Alexis. Like, hers mm. basically, for, you know, whatever uh, reason, doesn't fully happen. And it's sort of like, you know, that, in a way, that, that makes you think that there's more to it because, it's you know, there's the mystery. It's it's sort of pure in your head of, of how, mm. how, how, like, you know, sad a goodbye that is. But, like, you know, Tiffany's, we actually experienced it, so it feels more raw. Yeah, plus Ty's is obviously quite uh, short and to the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, his is his is brief and like touching. The more you think on it, the more you're like, oh, but like, yeah, it doesn't hit you at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, Blake has an interesting response to them as well. He 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 spots again an opportunity to jump in and ask for more information. Like, oh, you're dying. Why not just tell me some of that data, that sweet sweet data that you've got? Um, <laughs> but he he is aware enough to realize, no, that's probably not super appropriate. Uh, being badgered for information that you can't give up and then dying is probably not a great way to go, <laughs> I would say. Um, yeah, for once, I'm not going to be mad at Blake for not being nosy. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Good work, Blake. Yes, this, this, is, um, this is reading the room. Although this is him, this is the first bit where he sort of starts to admit to himself that he could be admitting to himself uh, that they yeah. might be about to die or something. Yeah, which is again quite emotionally affecting him. Him because hmm. yeah, he's not. He's. He, I mean, it's not just that he reads the room successfully. I guess to take away some of his credit, it's that he. Uh, he he knows that saying, "Oh, you're gonna die," so tell me this anyway. Is he has to start there with, "Oh, you're gonna die," which is the reality. He's not really ready to face yet. Yeah. Um. So the paper girl advances towards Alexis. And, uh, going for the kill, basically, and Blake kind of snaps a little bit. He he lunges out of the mirror, breaking it, and, uh, murders the paper girl with the, his trusty hyena. Um, and then this is, this is the last mirror left. Uh, and so without it, he is basically shunted outside and can't come back in. I'm glad that he didn't just stab the paper girl, but he was smart enough to stab the book like that, you know. Mm. Trope savvy Blake, yeah, uh, good on him again, <laughs> yeah, because uh, like that was definitely the way the way to take her out. So I'm assuming she did get dead, um, and he bought his friends a couple of minutes. God, I hope um, so. Imagine if he gets back <laughs> and the paper girl's just chilling there with the shredded bodies, and he's like, "Oh fuck, <laughs> I forgot to you double tap, whatever." <laughs> yeah. Um. Can we can we talk about? So this is a little bit ambiguous, but. It seems that, or either it seems that, or Blake kind of lets himself believe that Alexis was pretending to be worse off than she is in order to get Blake to freak out, I guess. Uh, freak out and do some action, um, which is intense. I mean, it kind of worked, but if that was actually Alexis's plan, it's a pretty cold plan. 
Yeah, well, it's a little bit manipulative. Um, mm, just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I agree. It, it felt it felt ambiguous, and I wasn't sure where we're meant to land on it, but um, it, it does feel like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know quite what to make of all of it. Hopefully, we get to see her again, and we can find out some more details. Because, mm. um, yeah, I mean, I'm so interested. I hope she's not dead, because I feel like there's so much more to do with Blake and Alexis right now mm. um, with this whole imbalance of how much you know emotion there is in their relationship mm, mm. yeah definitely um i mean we'll see uh we don't see her again this chapter at least um mm. so blake is now outside the house and he whistles to summon his faithful uh, companion evan and together they head off to sandra's house which seems to be the only house that is like even slightly vulnerable to them <laughs> yeah i mean basically the whole council's laying low uh because they figured Rose might send something unstable out to take them out. and Yep, and I mean, here he much. is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so he basically looks at the house and is like, we can't do anything here. Um, but there's this interesting moment before he gets to the house where he's he basically stops and starts being overcome by emotions, kind of processing uh, that his friends are all possibly dead right now. Um, mm. And he, he, he kind of goes into this, oh, I hate Rose, I hate myself spiral but he gets pulled out of it by remembering alexis telling him not to trust his instincts and that kind of pulls him back towards being calm and Mm. we kind of point out a lot of instances of blake slipping down towards being a boogeyman more and more but this is actually him slipping away from that like he actively takes a step away from being a boogeyman to to be more of a human again uh ironically by turning off his emotions a little bit so maybe not but (laughs) either way uh, it's a good effort blake good effort I mean, it's a good, it's a good uh, EQ move. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think the interesting part for me is we just sort of talked about how there's a chance, like seemingly a good one, that Alexis was maybe manipulating him a bit right mm-hmm. there. Um, and it, it's just interesting how much trust he still has for Alexis right now, considering like he he knows that on her end like she's not she's not feeling it like yeah his trust that she's a good person goes so far beyond their relationship and he just assumes that she's going to be good to him regardless of who he is yeah uh which you know if she is like if she was just manipulating him because she knew that he's in love with her and and would do anything for her i'm gonna be pretty mad Mm. um i guess we'll see like yeah uh and uh, yeah i don't know i mean She's been hanging out with Rose, who was very, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, didn't see others as sentient, even from the start of the story, I guess. Uh, so, who knows? Manipulating him to do something like that would be a classic Rose move. And so I guess we might see if Rose has been rubbing off on Alexis at all. Mm. And how Blake will just turn that into Rose's fault, even if it is Alexis's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure if it does go down, Blake is solely going to blame Rose for it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, Blake obviously can't get the council because he didn't really make a plan here. He just did his usual thing and ran off to fight some behames. Um, and so uh, that plan gets quickly abandoned and it's on to the next, in air quotes, plan, which is to go for the feat they refer to it as. <laughs> yeah, the junior, the junior council. I'm so excited to... To see them and Blake f- officially meet. Yeah, I love the way that this 
uh, that this kind of cutting off the feet of the snake unravels. It's just such an adorable <laughs> conversation. And Evan calling it Operation Snake's Foot is so funny to me. <laughs> yeah, um, Evan's always so fucking delightful. I'm so glad he exists. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Blake uh, basically approaches Briar Girl and uses her as an entry point to convene the Junior Council with the mindset of trying to change the status quo. I like how Briar Girl assumes he's there for a different reason at first, and I think she assumes that he's something else. Mm. She implies that others of his kind have come to make her bend to the rules, which is interesting. Yeah, it's... it's what does like, it mean? It's another... Yeah. It's the third in this chapter of a little drop of bait that feels like it's never going to get resolved. Like, I mean, maybe she did know he's a boogeyman and... Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm very interested. I mean, uh, like, it, it took my mind back to, you know... It was arc three when I remember we had the tidbit dropped that the Briar girl had a teacher. Yeah. And we we never found out who that was. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, I guess I'm hoping for a Briar girl interlude or, or plot line at some point. Mm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so changing the status quo. It's what we've been basically building up to the entire story, right? Um, yep. And maybe it's finally going to happen. Although, uh, mm. I don't know. It, like... It's Blake, and I I think he will have a tough time with the Junior Council, especially considering that he just fought uh, Alistair, like, a few hours ago, not even. <laughs> um, and Alistair yeah, seems to be one of the main uh, leaders of this Junior Council. So it, it just, it just, like, I'm, I'm all for it, but it's low odds, I think. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think what this is really going to represent is Blake heading in that direction you know he's now it's going to be him and a group of other people actually talking about breaking the wheel and i mean you know i guess we've had lots of people mention it throughout interludes and stuff but this is going to be blake taking a stand in that direction uh yeah and that's 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 going to be a cool new thing that yeah i'm excited for yeah um and i guess we'll have to see how that resolves next time on deep impact but before then (laughs) No, no, undo it, undo, undo. Uh, before then, uh, I wanted to touch on our our delightful uh, monster here, Paper Girl, um, because this is interesting to me. Like, uh, paper-based ghosts is something that feels like it's more of a thing than I actually think that it is. Like, I've from I, I'm trying, I'm struggling to think of any other examples of a paper-based ghost that I can think of. I, I can't think of any. I actually, before I, I got to the point where I saw you'd already started a monster corner on this, I'd spent about half an hour Googling trying to find if trying to find a, a, a concrete real world uh, inspiration yeah. for, for this girl. Uh, so I had the same thought as you. I sort of read her and was like, oh, I wonder if there's like real history behind her. Uh, I, I couldn't find anything um, too direct yes, myself. I didn't find much. I didn't find much. Um I, I kind of started by thinking about what does this monster feel like, right? And and I, the the closest thing I could associate it with was, um, I mean, it, it, a little girl ghost is a very kind of Japanese horror movie thing, <laughs> like sure. So and then the other thing is, um, I'm pretty sure that I have seen some other examples of not human but like origami based monsters. And so these kind of thoughts combined in my head to mean there's probably some Japanese folklore that ties together with something like this. Uh, and so that's the rabbit hole that I dove down here. Um, mm. And so diving into it, I, I, I did find a fair few uh, paper-based Japanese monsters. 
but none of them are quite the right fit here. Um, I actually suspect, and maybe this is a topic for a future Monster Corner, I suspect that there is a whole other set of law to do with flesh-bound books that might lead to some interesting topics. Um, I, um, I, I dove down that avenue myself in my Googling and didn't find much, right. but yeah, I may have missed something. Yeah, we'll see. Um, so I, 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 I kind of dove into Japanese uh, monsters, which... Honestly, of all of all the monster folklore, <laughs> I think Japan has some of the best. It's great. Um, yeah, and obviously Japan used paper for a lot of things in a more modern sense. Um, things like umbrellas, lanterns, doors, uh, which led to it being a bit more culturally important to them, and therefore ha- higher likelihood of of breaking into some interesting mythology. Um, I eventually came across. Uh, 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 and kind of dove down deeper onto a type of Japanese spirit called yokai, um, which may sound familiar for the elite video gamers among us because uh, there's a <laughs> Japanese kind of Pokemon-esque series called Yokai Watch, which is about collecting all these different yokai. Um, yokai are basically uh, Japanese spirits uh, that, at least in modern times, are often depicted as basically being ghost infestations or ghost uh, manifestations of everyday household items um so so like in pact it would be the equivalent of like remember we had that frog spirit that made the puddle like if you had something similar <coughs> take over your toaster or something yeah yeah exactly exactly right a toaster spirit a malicious toaster spirit um yeah okay the the kind of uh origin of these yokai is uh in some japanese creation myths uh, basically the land is infused with kind of latent magical energy, which kind of gave me very pacty spirit kind of vibes. Um, yeah. And then big events or strong human emotions kind of cause this to spontaneously combust into a monster, uh, which, you know, the word yokai used to basically just mean kind of spirit-esque monsters that could shapeshift, but they weren't super heavily tied to household objects until uh, they, they kind of evolved over time. And there was this book called, and I love this title, The Illustrated Night Parade of a Hundred Demons, which was basically a guy who just <laughs> took a few, uh, like, yokai-style monsters and then made up a bunch and and published a kind of compendium of, of, of drawings of them. And then from then on, like, that, they all just entered the mythology, which is so baller. Just, like, writing a book of fake mythology that then enters uh, the real world. I, I love it. Yeah, I mean... I- this isn't the first time. Like, remember we had? I think it was when we were talking about Solomon. There were yes. I mean, there was there were just like the list of old demons. Yes, it's like these I love it. It's ancient so SCP Foundation yeah. books, basically. Yeah, and I guess it's the it's like, I mean, it's the old time version of of creepy pasta. Really, is what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like you know, Slenderman and and shit uh, that has just started because somebody wrote a weird horror story about it on the internet, and then it kind of entered the public consciousness. Um, anyway, yeah. so so some of these paper-based yokai that I found were uh, paper umbrellas, uh, kasa obake, a paper umbrella monster, um, paper lanterns, chochi obake, uh, paper sliding door monsters, uh, moku mokuren, <laughs> and oh, this one's so good. So the paper sliding door monsters. Um, so you know you're thinking of, you think of like those Japanese style doors, and they're kind of they've got grids. These monsters, basically, each of those grids is an eye. Uh, and they're found in traditionally in rundown places where these doors have started falling apart. And instead of the grid, the grids of paper, they just have eyes in the in the parts where the paper doesn't exist, which is so weird. I love it. Um, <laughs> I, actually, one of the stories is, and this is this is the full quote that I pulled out here. It was just so bizarre that I had to pull it out. Um, 
A stingy travelling merchant once tried to save money by sleeping in an abandoned house rather than sleeping in an inn. Waking in the middle of the night, he was confronted by a, brackets, almost, entire shoji screen sh staring down at him. Instead of becoming scared, he removed the eyeballs from the screen and sold them to a local eye surgeon. <laughs> and that's the story behind this monster. That's a twist I did not see coming. Yeah, uh, so this is a very shit tier monster, the, Momo, uh, the Moku Mokuren. Um, anyway, but there is one that was more close to our paper girl, which was a yokai called Kyorinrin, which is basically uh, like a, a sentient set of scrolls or papers or books. Um, and it, it, honestly, it's, it's made out of paper and it's a, a thing that moves around, uh, but it's not quite humanoid. It's more like like a snake of papers, uh, but it was the closest I could come to for some uh, inspiration for this paper girl. So I don't know. I, yeah. I kind of dove down the yokai rabbit hole a bit here, but uh, I am interested to hear if anyone has any other mythology ideas of what could have fed into uh, our lovely paper girl here, because I am quite curious to, to find out more about this kind of monster. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Me too. Yeah. Um, so hopefully it's fun learning about paper monsters. Uh, and if anyone has any ideas for what other paper monsters are out there, the best place to leave those is in our discussion thread, which is linked down in the show notes down below. Yes, uh, and of course, we're always available on Twitter as well, at MediaMDPodcast. Twitter's usually up 24-7, so you can hit us up anytime. We may not get back to you immediately, but, you know, Twitter will be there. Yeah, it's always there for you when you need a, a shoulder to cry on, is at the MediaMDPodcast <laughs> Twitter. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. If you want more of the great shows that are on the Doof Media Network, uh, you can head to doofmedia.com uh, to find all of the great shows. Uh, apart from this one, there are lots. Um, for example, uh, The Book Club. There's a new episode of the Doof uh, Book Club, um, which has come out. Is that today? Yeah. That's today? Yeah, so it's later today. This is... Um, we beat them. You know, well, this is, this is coming out Friday morning, America time, and The Book Club is tonight, America time. So for Aussies, it'll be, you know, the middle of the day tomorrow on Saturday. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, uh we're doing the black company uh as as the book uh so that'll be matt and i talking about that i'm very excited mm, awesome um and if you love our love of stories the best way to support the network is by going to patreon.com slash doofmedia where you can become a patron and directly help us keep doing some of this cool stuff and that's how you get to vote in the fan art contest as well which you know is very important because we need to we need to beat those, yeah. those Parahumans fans. Teach those snobby uh, Ward and Worm fans a lesson about which which story's the better one. It's packed. Yeah. Uh, also, Wildbo has a patron. Um, he, he wrote, like, Worm, Ward, and Pact, so he, mm. he's kind of above all this conflict, and, mm. and you should give him money whichever side you're on. Yeah. Yeah. But when you do donate to him, make sure you say, this is from the Pact crew. <laughs> <laughs> just so he knows <laughs> um oh you don't have to do that probably don't i would say but you could if you want to who knows um anyway that's but don't. that's our episode for now uh we'll be back uh, to talk about malfeasance 11.9 the junior council meeting uh on monday the 30th of september so we'll see you then see ya